0: SECTION 18 OF ROUGH NOTES TAKEN DURING SOME RAPID JOURNEYS ACROSS THE PAMPAS AND AMONG THE ANDES BY FRANCIS BOND HEAD. THIS SLEEPAVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. ON APPROACHING THE huts, IT IS INTERESTING TO SEE THE LITTLE GAUCHOS, WHO, BROUGHT UP WITHOUT WANTS, AND TAUGHT TO CONSIDER THE HEAVEN OVER THEIR HEADS AS A CANOPY UNDER WHICH THEY MAY ALL SLEEP, literally climb up the tails of the horses which they are unable otherwise to mount and then sport and gallop after each other while their father's stirrups are dangling beneath their naked feet in the foreground of nature there is perhaps no figure so beautiful as that of a child who rides well and the picturesque dress of the little gauchos adds very much to their appearance i have often admired them as they have been sent with me from one post to another although the shape of their body is concealed by the poncho yet the manner in which it partakes of the motion of the horse is particularly elegant it is interesting too to see the heedless careless way in which these little chubby faced creatures ride and how thoughtlessly they drive their horses among biscacheras which would break in with the weight of a man when i got to el moro i resolved to wait there for the carriage for i had the keys of my portmanteau and both i and my party wanted money el moro consists of a few mud huts as usual without windows and as i stood at the door of the post-room no human being was to be seen, except occasionally a woman with her hand or poncho shading off the sun from her head as she crossed the broad irregular street which divided the huts from each other. Here and there a horse was seen, tied to the outside of a hut, and a little tame ostrich was before the door running after flies. The atmosphere was quivering with the heat, and resounding with the shrill cry of millions of flies enjoying the sun. There were no trees to be seen, and neither fruit nor flowers to be had. I went to the woman of the post to ask what she had got to eat. Nada, nothing, senor, she replied. I asked for several things which, from seeing a church and a small congregation of huts, I thought might have been procured, but I received the usual answer, no I, and I was obliged to send out for a live sheep. I then took a siesta, and it was late in the evening before the carriage and the party arrived. They had stopped at a hut a few leagues from San Luis, and had afterwards broken the pole of the carriage, which had delayed them several hours after supper i thought that the weather looked very wild and i therefore got into the four-wheeled carriage to sleep and one of the party was close to me in the two-wheeled one the nine peons were scattered about the ground two of our party slept under the carriage and the rest on the ground in different places about midnight we were awakened by a most sudden and violent whirlwind which blew several of the party's clothes away, and they were afterwards found in the river. There was so much dust that we could scarcely breathe, and all was utter darkness, until the lightning suddenly flashed over our heads. The thunder was unusually loud, and down came a deluge of rain. The wind, which was what is termed a pampero, was now a dreadful hurricane, and I expected every moment that it would overturn the carriage. I sat up and looked around me, and in my life I never saw so much of the sublime and of the ridiculous mixed together. While the elements were raging and the thunder was cracking and roaring immediately above us, the lightning would for an instant change the darkness to the light of day in these flashes i saw our party who were all hallooing one to another in the most ridiculous situations some were lying in bed afraid to sit up and holding their ponchos and clothes which were trying to escape from them some who had lost their clothes were running half naked toward the post room Others had lost their way and were standing against a dead wall, not knowing where to go. A French colonel, who had traveled in the carriage from Mendoza, was lying on a stretcher made of bullocks hide, grasping his clothes, which were now wet through, and vociferating at his cowardly servant, who, instead of assisting him, was standing about ten yards from him, crossing himself in vain did he call him in spanish every sort of animal the fellow who had literally been approaching his master was riveted to the ground by the unexpected sound of the church bell which from a violence of the hurricane occasionally gave a solitary toll the rain beat so violently into the two-wheeled carriage and it shook so terribly that its inmate could bear it no longer and ran through the rain. At last they all got into the post room, and as I looked out of the window, I saw them all crowded together, peeping over each other's heads at the door. In the morning they found what they had lost, and the peons and the whole party looked very uncomfortable. Many of the peons had lain on the ground the whole time, and they were, of course, covered with the mud which had been formed by the dust and rain. The peons and the people told us they had never seen such a storm and pampero before in their lives. The carriage was late in starting, and the sun was already up, when the French colonel and I agreed to make a call on the priest. He was dressed in a dirty white serge gown, tied round his body with a rope, to whip himself with. He was really not more than four feet and a half high, and yet weighed more than any of our party. His neck was as thick as a bullock's, and he had not been shaved for several days. In his room, which had no window, were two or three old books covered with dust and a little crucifix affixed to the wall. I asked him if it was he who had told the bell during the storm. He said, oh no, that he had ridden a number of leagues the day before and had slept so sound that he had not heard it and had only just been informed of it. On account of the party's clothes being so wet we lost a great deal of time and it was seven o'clock before we started. The two carriages went by the road but the postmaster told a little gaucho to take me by a nearer cut. I followed this little child who was not more than eight years old for many leagues. He rode like the wind and amused me extremely by a number of very entertaining stories which he told me. At last it began to rain and the little boy said, quien sabe if ever he should find out the post. For that he had never before come that way it was no use stopping and as i galloped along i made the child tell me the directions which the postmaster had given to him but i could make nothing at all of them one would have thought by the child's description that it was a mountainous country we were crossing for he talked of hills and valleys which i could not see but the Gauchos do divide their plains into ups and downs, which no one can distinguish but themselves. At last the child exclaimed that he could see a Cristiano driving some horses, and when we came to this man, he told us where the post was. I found the horses at the post in the corral, and the postmaster, whose house I had several times slept at, gave me a horse with a galope largo, a long gallop and a very handsome gaucho as a guide i had a long conversation with this man as i galloped along and i found him a very noble-minded fellow he was very desirous to hear about the troops which the government of mendoza had sent to reinstate the governor of san juan who had just been deposed by a revolution the gaucho was very indignant at this interference and as we rode along he explained to me with a great deal of fine action what was evident enough that the province of san juan was as free to elect its governor as the province of mendoza and that mendoza had no right to force upon san juan a governor that the people did not approve of he then talked of the state of san luis but to some question which i put to him The man replied that he had never been at san luis good heavens said i with an astonishment which i could not conceal have you never been to see san luis never he replied i asked him where he was born he told me in the hut close to the post that he had never gone beyond the plains through which we were riding and that he had never seen a town or a village. I asked him how old he was. Quien sabe? said he. It was no use asking him any more questions. So occasionally, looking at his particularly handsome figure and countenance, and calling to mind the manly opinions he had expressed to me on many subjects, I was thinking, what people in England would say of a man who could neither read nor write nor had ever seen three huts together etc etc when the gaucho pointed to the sky and said see there is a lion i started from my reverie and strained my eyes but to no purpose until he showed me at last very high in the air a number of large vultures which were hovering without moving and he told me they were there because there was a lion devouring some carcass and that he had driven them away from it we shortly afterwards came to a place where there was a little blood on the road and for a moment we stopped our horses to look at it i observed that perhaps some person had been murdered there the gaucho said no and pointing to some footmarks which were near the blood told me that some man had fallen, that he had broken his bridle, and that while he was standing to mend it, the blood had evidently come from the horse's mouth. I observed that perhaps it was the man who was hurt, upon which the gaucho said, No, and pointing to some marks a few yards before him on the path, he said, For see, the horse set off at a gallop. Note I often amused myself by learning from the gauchos to decipher the footmarks of the horses, and the study was very interesting. It is quite possible to determine from these marks whether the horses were loose, mounted, or laden with baggage, whether they were ridden by old men or by young ones, by children or by foreigners unacquainted with the biscacheras, etc., etc., The grass was shorter in this part of the province than it usually is, and it was very picturesque and curious as we went along to see bullocks, skulls, lying in different directions. The skeleton of the bull's head was justly admitted by the ancients as an ornament in their architecture. In the Pampas it is often seen lying on the ground, bleached by the sun, with the horns upwards and appearing as if the animal had just risen from his grave and was moralizing to the living cattle which were feeding about him in consequence of what this man had told me respecting his birth etc i asked every one of the gauchos who rode with me from post to post for the next six hundred miles the same questions and i found that the greater number of them had never seen a town, and that no one of them knew his age. When we came to the post, which is one of the richest possessions in the Pampas, I found about twenty gauchos assembled to commence breaking in the young horses, an operation which was to be continued for many days. As the carriage was many hours behind me, I resolved to see this, and getting a fresh horse i rode immediately to the corral and soon made friends with the gauchos who are always polite and on horseback possess many estimable qualities which at the door of their huts they appear to be devoid of the corral was quite full of horses most of which were young ones about three and four years old the capataz mounted on a strong steady horse rode into the corral and threw his lasso over the neck of a young horse and dragged him to the gate for some time he was very unwilling to leave his comrades but the moment he was forced out of the corral his first idea was to gallop away however the jerk of the lasso checked him in a most effectual manner the peons now ran after him on foot and threw the lasso over his four legs just above the fetlocks and twitching it they pulled his legs from under him so suddenly that i really thought the fall he got had killed him in an instant a gaucho was seated upon his head and with his long knife in a few seconds he cut off the whole of the horse's mane while another cut the hair from the end of his tail this they told me is a mark that the horse has been once mounted they then put a piece of hide into his mouth to serve as a bit and a strong hide halter on his head the gaucho who was to mount arranged his spurs which were unusually long and sharp and while two men held the animal by his ears he put on the saddle which he girthed extremely tight he then caught hold of the horse's ear and in an instant vaulted into the saddle upon which the man who was holding the horse by the halter threw the end of it to the rider and from that moment no one seemed to take any further notice of him the horse instantly began to jump in a manner which made it very difficult for the rider to keep his seat and quite different from the kick or plunge of an english horse However, the gaucho's long spurs soon set him going, and off he galloped, doing everything in his power to throw his rider. Another horse was immediately brought from the corral, and so quick was the operation that twelve gauchos were mounted in the space which, I think, hardly exceeded an hour. It was wonderful to see the different manner in which the different horses behaved. Some would actually scream while the gauchos were girthing the saddle upon their backs. Some would instantly lie down and roll upon it, while some would stand without being held, their legs stiff and in unnatural directions, their necks half bent toward their tails, and looking vicious and obstinate. And I could not help thinking that I would not have mounted one of these for any reward that could be offered me for they were invariably the most difficult to subdue it was now curious to look round and see the gauchos on the horizon in different directions trying to bring their horses back to the corral which is the most difficult part of their work for the poor creatures had been so scared there that they are unwilling to return to the place It was amusing to see the antics of the horses they were jumping and dancing in different ways while the right arms of the gauchos were seen flogging them at last they brought the horses back apparently completely subdued and broken in the saddles and bridles were taken off and the young horses immediately trotted towards the corral to join their companions neighing one to the other another set were now brought out AND AS THE HORSES WERE KEPT OUT A VERY SHORT TIME, I SAW ABOUT FORTY OF THEM MOUNTED. AS THEY RETURNED TO THE CORRAL, IT WAS INTERESTING TO SEE THE GREAT CONTRAST WHICH THE LOSS OF THE mane AND THE END OF THE TAIL MADE BETWEEN THE HORSES WHICH HAD COMMENCED THEIR CAREER OF SERVITUDE AND THOSE WHICH WERE STILL FREE. THE HORSES OF THE PAMPAS ARE LIKE THE COMMON DESCRIPTION OF SPANISH HORSE but rather stronger they are of all colors and a great number are piebald when caught they will always kick at any person who goes behind them and it is often with great difficulty that they can be bridled and saddled however they are not vicious and when properly broken in will allow the children to mount by climbing up their tails in mounting it is necessary to be very quick and previous to dismounting, it is proper to throw the bridle over one side of the head, as the horses almost always run backwards if one attempts to hold them by the bridle when it is over the head, as in England. Although I rode many thousand miles in South America, I was quite unable to learn how to select either a good horse or an easy-going one for, by their appearance, I found it impossible to form a judgment. Indeed, I generally selected for myself the worst-looking horses, for I sometimes fancied that they went the best. When first mounted, they often begin to kick and plunge, but by giving them a loose rein and by spurring them, they will generally start, and once at their pace they go quiet, however the kicking at starting is a most painful operation to undergo for from hard riding the back and shoulders get so dreadfully stiff that such sudden and violent motion seems to dislocate the limbs the evening closed but the carriages did not appear i anxiously looked on the horizon for them until it became dark i then went into the post-room and ordered one of the women to bring me the roast beef and soup which was prepared for the party i was quite ravenous for i had been so occupied with the horses that i had forgotten that i had eaten nothing since daylight the woman brought me a dirty sheet four times doubled which she put on the little square table then a bottle of wine have you a glass no hay senor oh never mind said i putting the bottle to my mouth the woman returned with the beef cut up into pieces in a pewter dish it was smoking and looked very nice and she also gave me some bread i instantly took out of my pocket a clasp knife and fork she asked me if i wanted anything else no said i putting a piece of the beef into my mouth But as she was going out of the door, I called her back, and asked her to get me some salt. Aquí está, señor, said the woman, apparently recollecting herself. And opening her right hand, she put very quietly upon the table some salt which she had intended for me, and because some of it stuck to her hand, she scratched it off with her fingers, and seemed resolved that I should have every particle of it. There was no candlestick but with the beef a little black girl about seven years old and almost naked brought in a crooked brown tallow candle which she held in her hand all the time i dined the little creature had gold earrings and a necklace of red beads i gave her a large piece of bread which she ate very slowly with the most perfect gravity of countenance As I was dining, I occasionally looked at her. Nothing was white but her eyes and the piece of bread in her mouth. She was watching every mouthful I ate, and her eyes accompanied my fork from the pewter dish to my mouth. With her left hand, she was scratching her little woolly head, but nothing moved except her black fingers, and she stood as still as a bronze statue. The carriage did not arrive, so I laid my saddle in front of the post and slept there. It was late in the morning before one of the peons came to tell me that the two-wheeled carriage had broken down in spite of all its repairs, that it was in the middle of the plain, and that the party had been obliged to ride and put the baggage on post-horses, and that they would be with me immediately. As soon as they arrived, they told me their story, and asked what was to be done with the carriage. It was not worth more than one hundred dollars, and it would have cost more than that sum to have guarded it, and to have sent a wheel to it six hundred miles from Buenos Aires. So I condemned it to remain where it was, to be plundered of its lining by the gauchos, and to be gazed at by the eagle and the gama. In short, i left it to its fate i had been much detained by the carriages and i was so anxious to get to buenos aires without a moment's delay that i resolved instantly to ride on by myself three of my party expressed a wish to accompany me instead of riding with the carriage so after taking from the canvas bag sufficient money for the distance about six hundred miles I left the rest for the coach and once more careless of wheels and axles I galloped off with a feeling of independence which was quite delightful end of section eighteen